Uh, great, thank you all so much. We had flashlights in the chat and in the building, so that is a rousing success. Uh, did Nathan choose that or did you? Nathan. Nathan did? Uh, so I'm guessing it's because we're going to be talking about how God, what God's preferred way is, but I guess we'll have to ask him later. So uh, yeah, see if you can figure out the connection, folks. Uh, play along at home. And uh, yeah, so um, it's going to sound like a weird transition from that song, but you'll have to wait for it all to make sense. It'll come back around. So uh, by the way, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here at Catalyst. And uh, we're going to be talking today about, about work, about burnout. And I don't think it's like breaking any news to say that people are burned out these days, right? Um, some fun statistics, though, that really blew my mind. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, uh, the average American is 400% more productive today than we were in 1950. And so what that actually means, if you flip the statistic around, is it means that in order to, uh, in order to uh, achieve the same standard of living that Americans had in 1950, we should be working fewer than 10 hours a week. It's obviously not happening, right? Um, uh, of the industrialized nations in the world, uh, everyone except the United States guarantees at least 20 days of vacation per year. And Finland and France, I don't know why it's the F countries, but it is, uh, they actually guarantee an entire month, 30 days a year of vacation. You just, that, that is like minimum, that's mandatory by law. Uh, there are 134 countries in the world, not including the U.S., that have laws that regulate the maximum number of hours you are allowed to work in a week. The U.S. does not have such a thing, so your company can, can uh, <clears throat> encourage you to work as many hours as they want. It doesn't matter. Uh, now, I say all of that to say, uh, you know, again, this, I'm, not, I'm not like uh, exploding any brains by saying that we're super overworked, right? And there are two kind of competing trends that have arisen in response to the fact that we're such an overworked country. Uh, on one hand, there's the glamorization of the grind, right, where people are like posting selfies about how hard they're working and how much they work, or, or maybe how much they work and how little they make, and so how much more they need to work, right? And there's this like weird glamorization of the fact that we're overworked. Uh, I think the, the competing sort of counter narrative to that is the rise of the self-care industry, right? Where you work so hard, so make sure you take care of yourself. And it has, um, there are like some, some weird, I would call them pockets, but they're really becoming the dominant narrative of the self-care industry. These weird ways that we're encouraged to like resist capitalism or whatever uh, by doing things like brushing our teeth or uh, going to bed at bedtime instead of doom scrolling on your phone for an hour. Right? There are articles that have generated uh, lots of uh, income and attention for the people that wrote them that are saying things like, in, in order to resist and really, you know, fight the revolution, uh, go to bed, go to sleep. It's like, okay, I'm all for, all for a happy bedtime, right? That's good. Bedtime's pro, pro parents, right? Pro bedtime, right? We're good for that. Um, but, but I just, I just wonder if that's really that revolutionary, right? If, if doing basic things to take care of ourselves is actually a way to resist the dehumanizing effects of late-stage capitalism, right? Or if that's maybe sort of a, a sign 
of the way we are being dehumanized is that even basic ways of taking care of ourselves are being treated as these revolutionary acts. Uh, and, and so uh, there's this really terrific article that came out in Gawker a couple of months ago by a writer named Claire Coffey. And in it, she pushes back on this idea that like adulting is that revolutionary, right? She says this. She says, there's something debilitating about hearing and internalizing the message that the, the paralysis and the malaise that seems to affect so many is wholly externally imposed. That constrained choices are not real choices. That sending emails 16 hours a day is somehow is something only the collapse of capitalism can mend. Right? So this whole article that she writes is this call to uh, sort of quit making excuses for the ways that we allow ourselves to be dehumanized, to really take responsibility and to do, do some things that are genuinely revolutionary, uh, while also continuing to brush our teeth and you know, go to bed at a reasonable hour. Uh, so what I wanna talk about today is a, a faith-filled way that we can be genuinely revolutionary in our culture, and that is by uh, doing the spiritual practice of Sabbath-keeping. Uh, now, if you think about Sabbath, and if you, if, especially if you think about it as like a, time, a, you know, a day where you just like take a day off, it ends up sounding like self-care, right? And, and so what I want to do today is press on the idea that Sabbath is just self-care. Uh, I want to press on the idea that really Sabbath is something that we need to do together, and that when we, when we keep Sabbath well together, we become a genuinely revolutionary force in our world. We, we resist the ways that our culture seeks to dehumanize us, and we do so in ways that are genuinely uh, not just countercultural, but life-giving, not only for us, but for the people around us. And so we're going to begin this morning by worshiping together. Uh, all of you know Chanel, I hope. If you don't, this is Chanel. She's leading worship today while Nathan is away. Uh, and so I'm going to pass it over here in a moment to Chanel and to the worship team. Uh, as you can see, we're going to be receiving communion here in a bit. And so if you're in the building with us, hopefully you got one of the little communion cups on your way in. If not, go grab one You know, here sometime in the next few minutes. Uh, if you're at home joining us virtually, uh, just grab something that you have with you. Apple juice and goldfish is fine, just something so that you can be participating with us when it's time for us to receive communion together later in the gathering. For now, I want to welcome you again, say we're so glad to have you with us, and invite you to be open to everything God is going to do in our, in our midst today, uh, through the singing, through the prayers, through the message that we're considering. And so let's begin by singing together. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to hand it over. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, we are in the middle of our fall series that we've called Black Sheep. And we are exploring this reality that more and more of us face, which is that uh, our faithfulness to Jesus is making us feel like we don't fit in. And, and that's long been the case for the church, that faithfulness has not made us fit in. But, but more and more these days, it seems like it's not that we don't fit in with the larger culture around us, though that remains true. It's that we don't fit in with other people who claim to follow Jesus. It seems like, uh, and, and you know, it's not because we're backsliding or wandering in our faith or something like that. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's because we've We've been working really hard to take Jesus' teaching seriously, to allow the Spirit to form us and shape us into Jesus' image, and, and that seems to make us stick out from other people who claim the name of Jesus. Uh, that's a, an experience that the prophet Jeremiah has, and so we've, we've spent the last month, and we're going to spend the next month, in the book of Jeremiah. 
Uh, Jeremiah was born in the decades leading up to an event we call the exile, which is when the empire of Babylon conquered the nation of Judah and took all of the cultural leaders, you know, the, what we would call like the politicians and the priests and the um, nobles, you know, everyone took them all into Babylon, forcibly deported them, and then left Judah uh, at basically as a, a group of people who no longer had any infrastructure. No, uh, it, it was a cultural apocalypse. And Jeremiah was the guy who lived in the years leading up to that, who saw the mounting international tensions and saw how rather than be faithful to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rather than be faithful to the way of God, uh, the people looked to the nations around them and made, uh, made alliances with them and worshiped their gods as a way to try to keep themselves safe. And Jeremiah warned again and again and again, this is not gonna work. This is not gonna go the way you think it's gonna go. Uh, choosing to abandon the covenant in favor of these other gods is going to get you destroyed, and it did. Jeremiah turned out to be right, uh, and he actually lived through the exile. He's one of the people that got left behind there uh, where there was no infrastructure, and then he prophesies after that too. So he goes from harbinger of doom to comforter in his lifetime. It's a fascinating person to study, and again, someone that I think a lot of us can really relate to because we see the world around us, we see a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus turning to other places and uh, you know, abandoning the way of Jesus for the ways of the world around us and seeking out salvation not from God but from politics or from culture or something like that. And, and it makes us feel like we're sometimes, it makes us feel like we're the crazy ones, like we're the, we're the, you know, the heretics. So we feel like black sheep. We feel like we don't fit in. Throughout this series, we've seen that we have to be grounded in God's love. We've seen the, the reality of idolatry. We've seen how often being confronted with these things uh, makes us want to feel shame, but God intends it not for shame, but for freedom, for liberation. And last week, we started looking at how uh, real world this is, that God intends what we're, uh, what we're learning about idolatry to make a real lived difference in our lives. We're going to continue looking at that today. Uh, so if you have a Bible, turn with us to Jeremiah 17. If you grab one of those Bibles out of the back, this is on page 459. So Jeremiah 17, as we're turning there, what we're talking about today is Sabbath, okay? The, the Sabbath day. And we're going to see uh, that, that the people of Judah are not keeping a Sabbath day. Right? They're treating, uh, so for them it was Saturday, for us it's Sunday, we're just going to call it all Sabbath, and if that's confusing, hit me up later and I'll explain why it changed, uh, but we don't have time to get into that right now. Right? So just, just uh, the Jewish people keep Sabbath on Saturday, we do it on Sunday, uh, and so, but we're, we're just going to talk about it all as the same kind of concept, right? the, the idea of Sabbath. The Jewish people didn't keep Sabbath in Jeremiah's day. They treated it like every other day, which you'll see when we get into reading Jeremiah. Uh, and, and for God, this was a signal flare that something was wrong, right? The fact that his people were not keeping Sabbath was an indicator of a deeper faithlessness, okay? It was, it was a clear signal that they were not interested in keeping covenant. And I hope that disturbs us at least a little bit because, you know, we don't really keep Sabbath either, Right? So, so when it comes to Sabbath, what exactly are we talking about? I want to show you, this is the, this is the Ten Commandments that are in Deuteronomy. Uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this is the commandment that specifically talks about Sabbath. So when we talk about Sabbath, this is where it comes from, right? And this is what it says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. 
On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Okay? So the big innovation that comes out of Judaism is the seven-day week. Okay? Most ancient cultures, it's, it's impossible for us to imagine, like, how else would you measure time? Of course, it's like weeks, months, and years, right? But ancient cultures did not have weeks. Uh, in, in, in the Roman culture, they had like the middle of the month and the end of the month, which the middle of the month was uh, the Ides. So if you're you know, a Roman history fan, the Ides of March, right? Which is when Caesar got assassinated. So when we hear Ides of March, we're like, ooh, it's like spooky season in March, right? But it literally just meant mid-March for the Romans until Caesar got assassinated. And then it was like, ooh. But yeah, Romans just counted time, middle of the month, end of the month. It was the Jewish people, because of their faith, because of their, their story, right, that said that the time is divided up into six days to do work, and then the seventh day that's dedicated to God, that's holy, that no one works. And so for, for a long time, we actually kept this, right? There were, there were laws in our country for a long time that, that forbade people from being open on Sundays. Uh, those got repealed in Texas, by the way, in 1985, and they got repealed because no one was doing them anymore. So it wasn't like in 1985, they were like, oh, we really want to go to the grocery store on Sunday. No, everyone was already going to the grocery store on Sunday, right? So they said, okay, let's just take these old laws off the books. And of course, nowadays, Sundays are for all kinds of stuff. They're maybe for finishing up some projects at home or catching up on some work before Monday or a kid's sports tournament or brunch with some friends or maybe just sleeping in, right? But we have all these kinds of things that we that we do for Sundays besides gathering for worship. I was sharing with our team before we started today that in like in the uh, all the church statistics stuff that you have to read when you're a pastor, they talk about how uh, for I, at least for the last decade, regular church attendance has been once a month. Uh, whereas again, when I was growing up, it was like every Sunday, you know, and it's just uh, fewer and fewer people really prioritize this time that we're in right now of coming together, of worshiping together, and of keeping this one day a week as separate and special, uh, something for God. So God thinks this is a problem. And, and the question I want to ask this morning is, is it really a problem, right? Which, of course, you know, spoiler, because we're at church, probably we're going to end up agreeing with God, right? So I want to say maybe, why does God think it's a problem? Because it's easy to treat Sabbath as a thing that, a box that we have to check, right? A law that we have to follow, something that we just, why? Because God said so, and that's the end of it, right? But believe it or not, there's actually a much deeper reason for Sabbath, a much deeper reason that's good for us and good for the world around us. And it's not just because God likes to make up rules and got bored after six days. Okay, so I want to read the, the passage in Jeremiah. I want us to hear how seriously God is taking this failure of the people to keep Sabbath. And I want to return. So this is in Jeremiah 17, beginning of verse 19. Jeremiah says, this is what the word of the Lord said to me. Go and stand in the gates of Jerusalem, first in the gate where the king goes in and out, and then in each of the other gates. There's 12 of them, by the way, right? So start at the king gate and then work your way around. And say to all of the people, listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and all you people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Listen to my warning. Stop carrying on your trade at Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day which again implies if they're stopping it, they've just been doing it, right? That's what everyone does. 
do not do your work on the Sabbath, but make it a holy day. I gave this command to your ancestors. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy, right? But they did not listen or obey. They stubbornly refused to pay attention or to accept my discipline. But if you obey me, says the Lord, and you do not carry out your trade at the gates or work on the Sabbath day, and if you keep it holy, then kings and their officials will go in and out of these gates forever. There will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. Now again, remember the context Jeremiah is preaching in, right? The Babylonian empire is encroaching. The political tensions are high. They are expecting any year now that Babylon's going to try to come in and conquer them. And God says, if you honor the Sabbath, there will always be a king on the throne. Okay, that is God's explicit promise to protect them from Babylon if they will keep the Sabbath day. Kings and their officials will always ride in and out among the peoples of Judah in chariots and on horses, and this city will remain forever, which again does not happen. From all around Jerusalem, from all the towns of Judah and Benjamin and the western foothills and the hill country and the Negev, people will come with their burnt offerings and sacrifices. They will bring their grain offerings and frankincense and thanksgiving offerings to the Lord's temple. Okay? If you keep the Sabbath, if you keep the Sabbath, then this will always go on. But, that was more dramatic than I intended, sorry. But, if you do not listen to me, and if you refuse to keep the Sabbath holy, and if on the Sabbath day you bring loads of merchandise through the gates of Jerusalem, just as on the other days of the week, then I will set fire to these gates. The fire will spread to the palaces, and no one will be able to put out the roaring flames. Now, again, that is language that in the wake of the exile we recognize, right? That is exactly what Babylon did. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the gates. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed the palaces. They destroyed everything. And God puts it all on the Sabbath day. If you keep the Sabbath day, you'll be a kingdom forever. If you don't, you're going to be destroyed. God connects Sabbath and destruction or salvation. So I want to pause there uh, because I just want us to sit with that image. It's so strong. And I think it's so out of the blue. I think if I were to say, uh, you know, list all the laws that God thinks are important and list the one that you think is like the key, I don't know that any any of us would have said like Sabbath, right? We would have probably listed other stuff. And yet for God, this seems to be the make or break. And I want to get into why in a minute. But first, I just want us to kind of say, and because it is a Sabbath day, because we are gathered for worship, I think it's appropriate to respond to this announcement uh, with some worship. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, uh, and as they come up, I just wanted to invite us back into this song with that spirit. What, What would it mean if this commitment to Sabbath keeping, if this commitment to gathering and worshiping and keeping this day is something that belongs to God, uh, what if it really was the difference for us between life and death? So God makes this explicit, strong link between the, the ongoing health and presence even of God's people in the world and their willingness to observe the Sabbath. And again, I think it's easy to just let this be legalism, right? God made a rule. If we don't follow it, God punishes us. 
Uh, but Jesus actually explicitly re- uh, rejects that in the Gospels. And I think if you've been around Catalyst for a while, you know that that's just not how we think about who God is and how God engages with us, right? God's commands are not arbitrary. Uh, they're not capricious. They're, they're for life and for us and for our flourishing, which again is literally what God says in Jeremiah, right? If you do these things, you will persist and you will flourish and all the nations of the world will come to you. So why is it? What is the connection there? Why does God think Sabbath is so important? Well, I want to go back to Deuteronomy and actually read the justification for the Sabbath day. God doesn't often say, this is why you should do this thing. Um, but God does that with, the, with the, the Sabbath commandment. So I want to read verse 15. This is after God has said what the Sabbath is and how to keep the Sabbath. Now God gives us a why. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Okay, so there's the, there's, the, there's the justification, right? Why should we keep the Sabbath day? Well, because you were one time slaves in Egypt where, where you worked seven days a week. You made bricks. That was what you did. You were slaves. And God rescued you, not by anything you did, right? You did not accomplish your own liberation. Rather, God liberated you. So God, from the beginning, has been the one who protects you and provides for you and even creates you as a people, And so you are to be different in the world, right? Israel was not to be just another Egypt. They weren't trading one empire for another. In Egypt, you work seven days a week, you make bricks, and that's it. In God's land, you work for six days. Six days, you still work, right? It's not not like you don't work. It's like you you do all your work in six days. And then on the seventh day, everyone puts down the things that they do. Right? Uh, it's, that old, it's that old cliche, you're not a human doing, you're a human being, right? But that's it, right? This is it. God says, one day a week, you put down the stuff that you do, and you just be together. All of you do, even your slaves, right? No one has a label on the Sabbath day. Everyone is equal. Everyone is a child of God, creating in God's image, worshiping together, and just being in the world together. That's the difference between Egypt and Israel. That's the difference between Babylon and Israel. That's the difference between Israel and all of the nations around it who also all, uh, the only reason they didn't like Babylon is because Babylon was more powerful. If they could have had the biggest army, then they would have been just like Babylon, right? Israel was the only place where, where they were, in theory, going to do something different because they had a different kind of God. And the marker of that is the Sabbath day, where you choose not to produce, not to do. You choose to be and to worship and to celebrate this God. You do away with the hierarchies. You just live together and celebrate together. Friends, we still live in a world uh, that does not value the, uh, the, the, the taking of breaks, Right? We talked earlier about how we glamorize the grind. How often people who choose to say no are seen as less desirable, less marketable, right? Uh, we, we are sort of like weirdly celebrating the gig economy where people work four or five or six jobs that are all part-time. Uh, and so they never have a break. They never shut off. They just go, 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 go. 
And, and God actually thinks that's not good for us. God actually, God actually thinks that's poison for our humanity. Can you imagine a church community that took Sabbath seriously? That said, we are, as a church, going to prioritize putting down our tools of production, putting down our titles and our positions and all of that, and then making it a point to come together weekly and to celebrate that we are not what we do, we are who made us, right? We are the image of God in the world. Everything is programmed against that, right? Our jobs are, our jobs are programmed against that. That's been the, uh, uh, it, uh, one of the many dark sides of COVID is like as more and more people got the capacity to work from home, we like have even fewer boundaries than we used to, right? Like we already had a hard time not answering emails when they came in after five o'clock or six o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever we decided was quitting time. And now that now that now it's like even worse, right? So there are even fewer and fewer boundaries that we have. Um, I grew, when I was, I hate to sound like an old man, but like back in my day, uh, kids sport, like they didn't even schedule kids sports practices on Wednesday nights because they assumed most kids would be like going to youth group or something like that, right? And Wednesday night was youth group night. And then they at least had Sunday mornings. They might do a tournament in the afternoon, but like they kept Sunday mornings open for church. So you had this sort of cultural, like it was culturally easier to do these things, right? And that's just not true anymore, Um, which I don't, I don't have a strong opinion either way uh, about that. I mean, it sure was nice when you sort of didn't have to try to go to church. You just could because there was nothing else to do. Sure. But like, I don't know that it's so bad to have to try a little bit to go to church, you know, to, to, to value these things together. Um, I, I think it teaches us something about what we actually value, right? When we have to set priorities. Uh, my mom always said to me growing up, you make time for what's important to you. And I would say like, I don't have time for that. So we make time for what's important to you, right? And, so, and this, is, this is the real question, right? What God is asking the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day, what God is asking us is, is, am I important to you? Is my way important to you? Do you believe that a person who keeps my way in the world will thrive? Or do you think that in order to thrive, you have to buy into the hustle culture that is all around us? What do you really believe? Because if you buy into the hustle culture, that's one more lie that one more empire is feeding you. And surely God's people by now, after surviving Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Rome, surely we would learn by now that the empire never actually wants what's good for us. Surely we would know that by now. And yet we don't. I want to close with one more quote from that article I shared at the beginning from Claire Coffey. Because uh, I think it's just... it's. It's really provocative and maybe a little bit painful. Uh, here's what she says. Again, this is, this is about the, the self-care culture and the gig economy and all that, right? She says, this is your life. You do not have time to wait for the revolution to begin living it. You will always be able to find someone to give you permission not to live it. But no one is coming along to live it for you. Friends, we will always find excuses to be busy. We will always find excuses to do one more thing or to fill our calendars. The question is, will we take a chance to believe what God says is true and to live like it? We've heard the promise that God made through Jeremiah, that if we will follow God's way, if we will trust this radical countercultural way of Sabbath keeping, 
and we will thrive. The question is whether we believe it or not. I want us to bring those questions to the table because I think it's a difficult question. I think, I think this is, again, this is like a where the rubber meets the road sort of a thing. You can look and see the way that God looked and saw, the way Jeremiah looked and saw. You can just see how much people value God's way by how diligent we are about keeping Sabbath. And so that's why we're going to come to this table, this space that God creates for us, this space where we do nothing to earn our spot. We only simply have to be and to come and to receive. Radically countercultural. And of course, as usual, before we come, I'm going to give you some questions, some time to reflect and consider. Uh, and these are questions, they're, they're pointed, they're about Sabbath keeping, and I, I want to offer them to you as, as a place for you to clear some space in your spirit and genuinely, prayerfully consider these before Jesus. Uh, and then we're going to come to the table together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. What does faithful Sabbath observance look like in my life? I'm worried that some of us may not even know, right? So what does it look like? What does faithful Sabbath observance look like in my life? What barriers or distractions keep me from keeping Sabbath regularly? What are those really good reasons? Now, what's at the root of those barriers or distractions? Is this an area where I'm unwittingly giving myself to an idol? Finally, because, because Sabbath is a, a weekly rhythm, not a, a daily rhythm, I'm going to ask this, not just about the coming week, but the coming month. How can I keep Sabbath in the coming month?
pray, let's pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning here on this uh, day that we observe Sabbath, that we might be reminded of how different your ways are from the world around us, and how easy it is, uh, it is for us to forget that, to just adopt the culture that we live in so much, how easy it is to ignore the life-giving ways you have commanded us to have. We confess that we far too often are like Jeremiah's people, going about our day with no regard for what day it is, uh, treating every day this more or less the same. But we have seen yet again this morning that, that black sheep keep a Sabbath day, that, that we do stand out, that our lives become a clarion call to the people around us, that your ways are not the ways of the empires around us, that if we truly want to have life, it requires us to put down the things that we so often think define us and simply receive your grace. And so we come to your table to do just that. By receiving these elements, we pray that they would become a spiritual food, that we might receive grace in this moment, that you would reaffirm your love for us apart from anything we have done to earn or deserve. We pray that in this time, you would yet again form us as your people and send us out into a world that desperately needs to see a people who's serious about Sabbath. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating us and calling us. And thank you for inviting us to your table this morning. We come now in the name of your son, Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And at that meal, he broke bread and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. Or sorry, he gave, <laughs> all right. When the meal was over, he gave them a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, you may notice I intentionally didn't talk too much about what Sabbath looks like. And I think that's because it, it can really look different for everyone. Um, you know, again, the rabbis famously had all of these decisions about like how far you could walk and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and that came from a good place of trying to figure out what does it really mean to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, you know? Uh, I, I tend just not to, to go that way. Uh, I, I would, what I would challenge you is if you're really unsure still what it looks like for you to keep a Sabbath, uh, you can grab our spiritual practices guide that has Sabbath outlined in it. Again, it should be in the YouTube description there. It should also be for those of you in the building on our wall out there as you leave. Um, but this is also a good thing to take into conversation with other people in your life that you care about, uh, to talk about what Sabbath is, to talk about why it's important, uh, what you're experiencing with it, and then just to begin to dream a little bit about what Sabbath could look like for you, uh, for your community, right? For those in your household, or those in your friend group, or those in your, in your church community. Uh, Sabbath is something that's really, really powerful when we practice it together. So I just want to encourage you and challenge you in that. Uh, now, if you'd stand with me, I want to dismiss us today with a blessing uh, Catalyst, as you're going today, you're going into a world that uh, has so many forces in it that want to dehumanize you. And so I want you to go having received this call to Sabbath as a blessing and as a gift, something that God has given you uh, for your wholeness, not as a burden. Uh, would you go knowing that if, if you are faithful to keep Sabbath, God will be faithful to keep you and preserve you uh, because you're following in God's way. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.